You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Other things going on besides Solarigate and deplatforming. There's news about the Sidewinder threat actor and its interest in South Asian cyber espionage targets. Google's Project Zero describes a complex and expensive criminal effort. CISA discusses threats to cloud users and offers some security recommendations. A scam as a service affiliate network spreads from Russia to Europe and North America. Awais Rashid looks at shadow security. Our own Rick Howard speaks with Christopher Alberg from Recorded Future on cyber threat intelligence. And Solar Leaks looks more like misdirection, Guccifer 2.0 style. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, January 14th, 2021. There are other things going on this week than Solarigate and post riot deplatforming. We lead with those. First, AT&T Alien Labs yesterday released a report on the Sidewinder threat actor. Sidewinder is believed to have been active at least since 2012, but Alien Labs concentrates on operations since 2017. Its usual tactics include spear phishing, document exploitation, and DLL sideloading. Attribution is uncertain, but Sidewinder has been most often reported active against Pakistani military targets. The full report, which includes a list of detection methods, indicators of compromise, and a mapping to the attack framework, gives a longer list of targets, which have included government and military organizations in Pakistan, China, Nepal, and Afghanistan, with smaller operations against Myanmar, Qatar, Sri Lanka, and Bangladesh. Alien Labs also assesses, with moderate confidence, that various businesses operating in the national defense technology, scientific research, financial, energy, and mineral industries of the same nations were also targeted in Sidewinder campaigns. But this picture, they stress, is incomplete, and in all probability, Sidewinder's interests extend to other targets as well. Uncertain as the attribution may be, Alien Labs thinks with low to medium confidence that Sidewinder is an Indian operation, It seems at the very least to have worked consistently in support of Indian interests. 
Google's Project Zero has begun a series on zero days it's found undergoing active exploitation in the wild. This week, it describes a set of four that were used to craft malicious websites to entrap Windows and Android users. The campaign was sophisticated, evasive, and expensive to mount. The vulnerabilities exploited were all fixed in 2020. The discussion should lend to some urgency to applying the relevant patches. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has issued a warning about successful cyber operations directed against cloud services whose users are afflicted with poor cyber hygiene. CISA's analysis report singles out three classes of attack for particular attention. Phishing, of course, is common. The threat actors use phishing emails whose malicious links are designed to harvest credentials for cloud service accounts. Forwarding rules also figure prominently in the threat actor's behavior. In some cases, they've modified an existing email rule to redirect emails to an account they control. In other instances, they modified existing rules to pick out certain keywords, typically financially related terms, and had emails containing them forwarded to the threat actor's account. And the threat actors also created new mailbox rules that forward certain messages to the legitimate user's RSS feeds, or RSS subscription folder. This technique was intended to evade detection and consequent warning. Finally, there were instances of authentication abuse in which threat actors access their victims' accounts with proper multi-factor authentication. In some cases, this may have involved defeating multi-factor authentication with pass-the-cookie attacks. The threat actors also attempted, generally without success, to brute-force user logins. CISA's report also includes a set of recommendations for ways in which enterprises can improve their cloud security. Isn't this just about solar winds, you might ask? No. CISA anticipated your question and wants its audience to understand that the report has a much broader application. CISA writes, quote, The activity and information in this analysis report is not explicitly tied to any one threat actor or known to be specifically associated with the advanced persistent threat actor attributed with the compromise of SolarWinds Orion platform software and other recent activity. End quote. If you're using cloud services, and who isn't, take a look and read the whole, not very long, thing. Group IB this morning released a report about Classis Scam, a scam as a service criminal enterprise that's selling malicious classified ads. Classis Scam began its career in 2019, and it initially confined itself to finding Russian-speaking victims on classified ad sites and other comparable online forums. Its activity peaked in mid-2020 as remote work and online shopping rose during the COVID-19 pandemic. At least 40 groups are currently running the scam. They use Telegram bots equipped with ready-to-use pages mimicking popular classifieds, marketplaces, and sometimes delivery services, Twenty of the groups are at work in Russia. The other half have been found more recently active in Bulgaria, the Czech Republic, France, Poland, Romania, the U.S., and the former Soviet republics of the near abroad. The scammers pose as both buyers and sellers, the point being to engage victims in social media, WhatsApp is popular, in order to inveigle those victims out of cash, credentials, or other valuable data. The ads that constitute the fish bait around the hooks usually offer cameras, game consoles, laptops, smartphones, and similar items for sale at deliberately low prices, Group IB says. 
This criminal-to-criminal service is organized as a pyramid affiliate scheme. The apex predators at the top get between 20 and 30 percent of the take, with the remaining 70 to 80 percent going to the workers down below. Group IB estimates Classes Scam took in a bit more than $6 million last year. And finally, we will end with some Solorigate notes. Bank Info Security says the SolarLeaks goons have added Microsoft and Cisco code offerings to their menu, where they join the previously noted SolarWinds and FireEye swag. Here's the current list. Stolen from Microsoft, Microsoft Windows partial source code in various Microsoft repositories, price $600,000. Taken, they say, from Cisco, multiple product source code and internal bug tracker dump going for $500,000. From SolarWinds, source code for all products, including Orion, as well as customer portal dump for a quarter of a million bucks. And from FireEye, red team tools, plus source code, binaries, and documentation, these at the low, low price of 50 grand. There's still no particular evidence that any of these offers are good, and emails to the SolarLeaks ProtonMail account are still bouncing. Cisco, for one, says it's had nothing stolen, and FireEye, which first detected the SolarWinds backdoor, says it's found no evidence that SolarLeaks actually has anything at all. So this looks increasingly like misdirection, something along the lines of Guccifer 2.0. We'll see whether the imposter has legs. It probably won't. It's been tried before, and people are wiser for this sort of thing. Anyway... Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Thank you. 
Our CyberWire chief analyst and chief security officer Rick Howard has been making the rounds, checking in with experts on cyber threat intelligence. He files this report. I've been doing cyber threat intelligence, or CTI, in one form or the other for the past 20 years. When I got the chance to talk to Christopher Alberg, I jumped on it. No worries at all. I won't touch anything from now on. (laughs) Let's get started. Dr. Alberg has been the CEO of Recorded Future since 2009, and the CyberWire co-produces a podcast with his company called Inside Security Intelligence that our very own Dave Bittner hosts. Dr. Alberg and I talked about the changes to cyber threat intelligence over the years, and I asked him about the skill sets needed for today's intelligence teams. Intel analysts, computer scientists, uh, data scientists, which, you know, sort of at some level are data analysts, but, you know, more numbers-oriented data scientists. And then finally, maybe even, which, which is important, sort of the big data operations, you know, being well, because sort of Recorded Future runs on thousands and thousands of machines at, you know, some outsourced data center, so actually managing that becomes a science in itself. But now you could have those four groups and they never talk to each other and it's not going to be any good. So you need to be able to build analytical processes in that. You know, the good news with Intel people is that they're very comfortable with sort of uncertainty. They're very comfortable with, you know, fuzzy problems. Dr. Alberg recommended a book that explains the character of intelligence analysts that he is looking for. It's not a techie book or a how-to book on being an Intel analyst. It is a business book written by Danny Meyer, the guy that founded one of my favorite hamburger joints, Shake Shack. The book is called Setting the Table. And he talks about 51 percenters, and the 51 percenters are those people who are all about uh, providing great service, and then 49% about their specific expertise. And it's the same thing here. We look for the people who are inherently collaborative, inherently want to work cross silos, cross-functional, the people who are just dying to work with others. And those are the, and, and don't really have the time for the divas who are not, who doesn't want to do that. So when you find those people who are, they're still pretty damn good in their 49%, but they're 51% about, you know, pulling things together. That's where you find that, that, uh, that magic. We talked about how no two Intel teams are exactly the same. What's the problem you're trying to solve? That's a hard thing to do, you know, like, but you have to actually try to understand that. Are you trying to help somebody inform their patching process? Are you trying to help somebody be more efficient at doing incident response? Are you trying to help somebody more, you know, make that SOC tier tier one analyst in the SOC be more efficient at doing X, Y, Z? Whatever the sort of the problem you're trying to do or, you know, higher, higher level constructs than that, what sort of analysis do you need to do? What sort of automated correlations do you need to provide for? Understand the problem and be disciplined about that so that when you then don't, if you don't succeed, you can tune the analytics, tune what data you need to add, tune whatever you're doing. So you really think about it as an analytical process. And and actually, I think a lot of people learned in the intelligence community can be put to work here, but it needs to be more data-driven. And and, uh, people are not thinking enough about that. From my perspective, the commercial CTI offerings are still stuck on reporting technical artifacts versus reporting on how to stop the success of an adversary campaign. We always had this idea that, you know, the reason we're indexing all this data and organizing it is to understand real-world activity. And, and so that means that, you know, sometimes, of course, you're going to be looking at IPs and domains and NetFlow in between them and, you know, down in the weeds. But at the same time, you know, you want to try to understand not only sort of threat actors at the realm of talking about APT28 or, you know, uh, 
Potter Panda or whatever their names might be, there's obviously the, a big sort of debate whether attribution matters or not. But even if you don't believe that attribution matters, I do think that intents matter. I do think that, you know, understanding these things holistically matters. I love cyber threat intelligence. It is so fascinating. And if you are looking for an interesting and exciting career, CTI is a great field. And while you're thinking about it, check out the Recorded Future podcast on threat intelligence. You can find it at cyberwire.com slash podcast. That's the CyberWire's Rick Howard. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Professor Awais Rashid. He's the director of the National Research Center on Privacy, Harm Reduction and Adversarial Influence Online at the University of Bristol. Uh, Professor Rashid, it's great to have you back. Um, I want to touch today on shadow security, and I think um, certainly as, as we are several months into COVID and, and uh, the, the shift to everyone uh, or many people working from home, uh, it's a more important topic than ever. Absolutely. And, you know, shadow security is where individuals or groups start to bring in what would be non-standard uh, security tools or, or practices to actually undertake security as part part of their work and and usually this this becomes quite significant and often shadow security and generally shadow it as the as the term term is known is is frowned upon because that means that people are actually utilizing uh, it systems or uh, security tools and mechanisms that are not within the regular it or security infrastructure of the organization and and the first tendency can often be to say well that's actually very bad and you mustn't do this and and of course you know we 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 want to avoid shadow practices where we can but there is another way of looking at this and that that the question we must ask is why this shadow practice is going on in the first instance it basically means that what we have in place is not working effectively enough that people have to resort to uh, shadow practices and this also comes in terms of in terms of shadow shadow security and it could well be that for example they're deploying shadow security because they can't update particular things on their systems that would actually allow them to work in more more secure ways it could also be that there are legacy systems systems in place and they have to think about more secure ways of dealing with data or information and and so on and so forth so instead of Asking the question, and certainly that's what I always say to people, that if you observe shadow practice, you know, the first question you must ask is, why is this taking place in the first instance? Because there must be a good reason, because ultimately people want to get on with the job that they have at hand, and, and they, they usually would try and deploy things that will actually enable them to get on with the job that they have at hand. And that's really typically where shadow practices start to emerge. 
But don't we find ourselves in in a kind of a a, a complex situation here where uh, because so many people have shifted to work from home, there may be uh, security elements that their home ISP is providing for them that they they may not even be aware of. Um, and, and as a as someone in charge of security for an organization, you know, how do you how do you take inventory of all of those those possibilities that are out there now? That, that that is a wonderful question, and I mean, this is a question that has been you know asked for the you know for nearly now you know six to nine months since there has been mm. this kind of big shift to working working from home, and I think the 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 question that that needs to be asked is you know people are now working in a, a very different setting, and as an organizational uh, IT department and also a security department, how are we actually enabling people to do their work? So if if for example we are are requiring that you know people must communicate using a very very kind of secure communication mechanism and it doesn't actually work with their home router for instance in the first instance you know they may resort to for example using online messaging platforms like whatsapp because they may think well okay you know it's end-to-end encrypted and i'm actually getting on with my job and one of the things that we did very early on in this and and uh, you know a number of my colleagues worked on this was to look at as to what would be good practice with regards to security and remote working and then the question then comes is that if you know this is the sort of conversation that you are quite willing to have say sitting in a crowded coffee shop where you are not you know concerned about you know being being overheard then you know it is effectively not very confidential conversation at all right so basically mm-hmm. any reasonable online platform will do to do your to do that kind of conversation if it's a conversation you expect to have in a closed meeting room within within your organization then you must consider you know what are the various security properties of the various platforms and things like that but also if it is really supposed to be a big you know sort of corporate confidential information then you really really need to think about you know what are the practices that need to be in place who needs to be there what kind of identity management you are doing and things like that and and i think the key here is that we are now in that landscape where we are actually utilizing you know a very very diverse infrastructure you know in people's homes to carry on our daily uh, daily jobs and and uh, security departments and it services have to also now start to think about as to how do they actually operate in that kind of setting what tools are they providing? Are there good VPN services? Is there good accessibility of you know online platforms and services where people can do their work securely? How easy to use and access they are? And do they require lots of complex configurations on parts of the users? So we are back here to you know one of my my favorite topics, which is you know reducing the the burden of security on the user. And you know in this kind of remote working sense, when we are all under great pressures, I think it's really important that we think about how do we reduce that burden so that people can do their job and and not having to resort to shadow security practices simply to get on with what they're doing. All right. Well, Professor Weiss Rashid, thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed beyond your dreams. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Guru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.